Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest is someone who I absolutely love. He's a well-known pup in the community and a holder of many leather titles, including Mr. Bullet Leather 2014, which kind of makes him my great-great-granddaddy of sorts. <laughs> I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. So sit back, relax, and get ready for some more Leather Talk. Hello, everybody. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. Before we get started with this episode, I'd like to put out a disclaimer. In this interview, parts of our guest's story touch on topics which reflect on some of his sexual experiences at a very young age. If you are in any way sensitive to listening to such topics, you may want to consider listening to another episode. The views and opinions expressed in this interview are those of this guest only and do not reflect any official position of the Leather Talk podcast. Hello, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today I'm talking with Matthew. Matthew, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hi, um, I'm Matthew Mullins, aka Pup Ashtray Boner Kane, and um, I'm a professional writer, photographer, and event promoter at the Bullet Barn Goal. Um, I have a passion for visual arts and I like uh, to write music and under the name biological. Um, I have a sir, his name is Dan Lovell, and I'm his pup. Uh, I flag yellow, light blue, hunter green, and um, we created this event producing company together called Skullbit Creative, which holds um, a lot of events here in LA, like uh, at the Bullet Bar, such as Dog Pound, Cocksock, and Gloamy. Um, in 2014, um, I was part of LAL and I won Mr. Bullet Leather 2014. Um, then I went on to compete for um, Southern California Leather Boy and I won that in 2014 as well. After that, um, I competed in International Leather Sir Boy in Dallas and I won first runner up. In 2015, I won Mr. West Coast Olympus Leather in San Diego and competed in the International Olympus Contest um, but didn't place. Then after that, I basically won in its inaugural year the International Geared Up Pup 2017. And uh, I've been seen on TV and True TV's You Can Do Better, as well as Netflix's um, Magic for Humans. Um, I'm an advocate for the puppy community and uh, basically also helped revive the Los Angeles Pup Contest. I live in Studio City. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Matthew. If I had to take a shot for everything that you've done, I'd be drunk already. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I've done a lot. Yeah. And I've had a lot of fun with it, too. Um, uh, I also like raising money for charity if I can, especially testicular cancer, which is related to our cock sock party that we throw 
at the Bullet Bar and actually next week even online. <laughs> yeah, I love all of the events that, that you mentioned. Glow Me is, is like my favorite event of all time. It was actually, it fell on my birthday, like the day of my birthday last year. And it fell again the day of my birthday this year. Um, and it was like- That's the, crazy. It was the weekend after- uh, the Mr. Bullet Leather competition too. So it was like a vi- like a second victory party. I felt like it was great. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful party. Um, I actually thought of the idea originally in high school because I used to throw raves basically in the towards the end of uh, my high school college years. I was throwing raves and throwing picnics and stuff like that in Central Park. And so wow. I mean, wait, where did you grow up? Huntington Beach. Wow. I mean, I wish I was your friend back in high school. Like, <laughs> you sounded like a cool kid. I was a weird. I was. I was actually a pretty interesting guy. I was. I was a weird kid back then. <laughs> I. Uh, I did a lot of musical theater. I've done twenty-one musicals, eleven stage shows. I can sing opera in four different languages. Wow. Like I've, I've done a lot. In my life. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You are. You are the the Joe Exotic of the pub world. You've done everything. <laughs> I've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think in the world today, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades to survive. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of being a jack of all trades, I did want to bring up that um, we do have some different music today at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Those of you who are active listeners of the podcast may have noticed. Um, And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because Matthew Mullins is actually the one who created the music. And I'm planning on using this as the music for the bonus episode material from here on out. So uh, Matthew, could you just talk a little bit about your creative process with that? So basically, when I write music, I write it under the name Biological, which I've been doing since 1994. Anything that I write about, it's it's has a biological component to it is what I try to do with my music. So it's like it's connected to whoever I'm writing it about, which that's traditionally I write about people more than anything else. And so that one was actually, you know, it was written about you. <laughs> um, so I took what I thought you'd done with the title, which is beautiful, by the way, I love it, and um, decided to create a sound around it. And uh, that's what came out. So <laughs> now I, I did want to ask you, because uh, we've talked a little bit off record, and you mentioned how this is kind of like a new style for you to work with. So what were some of the differences between like what you created here versus what you normally do? What I tend to write more than anything else is experimental, or at least that's mm-hmm. what people see it as. <laughs> it's not very genre-definable, but um, my entire sound tends to be more experimental, dark, quirky, strange. Like, it was not nothing that would really work overall as something that everyone can listen to and be like, wow, that's kind of a cool sound. So this, I was trying to be a little bit more approachable with the music. It came out like less experimental electro and more almost kind of housey in a way. Yeah, it is, and you know, you you do kind of get a little bit of um, like that that dissonance a little bit at the beginning, I noticed. Yeah. I, I thought that was really, you know, kind of signature of you. And, you know, listening back to the, you, you also made the music for the Mr. Bullet Leather competition, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. And so that one's like a little bit more dar- dark and like dungeony and sexy. And yeah. at first you sent that to me and you're like, here, like use this. And I was like, oh, that, that's like... I, I couldn't figure out how to make it work for the beginning, but I definitely want to use right. it, you know, in other parts of the podcast because it is like really dark um, music as well. 
I was definitely like, um, Mr. Bullet has always rung to me as very sexy. Like, it's a sexy title. It's, it's a badass title. Like, anybody who has it is cool. Well, obviously, we are cool. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, so basically the owner of the Bullet Bar, he had a certain, you know, style that he was trying to go for with the Bullet Contest. And again, I tried to match that. And um, with the Bullet Contest music, it's definitely, like you said, it's definitely more sexy. But overall, I was trying to encompass the sound of what the Bullet, you know, appears like in my head. So yeah, definitely. So I love how I didn't realize into a few lessons in that you actually have some frequent barking in this track. <laughs> there's always gonna there's always gonna be barking in my songs. I swear to God. Like ever since I. I wrote the song for Dog Town, uh-huh. which is literally like the beat is just threaded with dog dogs barking, basically. And I don't know, it just feels very connected to me. Again, it's the barking, the puppy thing. It's just very, it just comes out. <laughs> it's natural. <laughs> so we know that, um, you know, you have several titles. What made you want to run for a title in the first place? And, and what was your first title? My first title was Mr. Bullet, 2014. And my friend Leo, basically Esteban and Leo at that point in time when they were together and they had, they had started the Payasos. Well, they had, you know, kind of run into me through <laughs> shenanigans and goings on. And um, after meeting each other, they basically said, you'd be a great title holder. So they introduced me to it. And um, I went up against Daniel Neary and a friend of mine, Andy, Andy Carobrias. I think that's how you say his last name. I'm not very Yeah, isn't he a Mr. Regiment now? Yeah, he was Mr. Regiment um, back in 2014. He was, um, you know, he won, and I came out second runner-up, and, uh, you know, it really taught me a lot about, I don't know, like, kind of coming to terms with the fact that sometimes you don't win things, and sometimes it doesn't always work out how you think it will, but it worked out to, it, you know, be an advantage because I ended up being connected to the Bullet instead, and um, as much as Mr. Regiment is an awesome title, I think Mr. Bullet's the coolest title ever, so... <laughs> Yeah, it, it is definitely kind of like a like a family there, you know. Yeah, it's a bad boy, kind of a bad boy title, in my opinion. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, speaking of you know, kind of being a part of like the leather community, how has that affected or changed your life, or has it? It has absolutely has, and mostly in good ways, you know. Um, of course, you you know you take the good with the bad in these things, you know. But like, as, as far as like how it's changed my life, it's changed who I am completely. Like, I, at first, I didn't really have like a community that I related to, and uh, you know, after having this community connected to me, and it's been so much better. I feel like you know, it's it's like having a family, like you said, it's just like the bullet, same thing. It's like having a family, but an extended family, and you know, family doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be blood, blood relation. That's for sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have there been in, who who got you into the leather community in the first place or did you just kind of stumble upon it? Well, um I've been kind of involved um since I was really young since I was like 14 years old. Um and uh just because like it kind of found me and I found it and I was always interested in it. Mm-hmm. But then um someone who actually brought me into the community I'd say it would probably be like Don Mike. Um and uh he's still one of my best friends now. When I first started um, bridging into the community, I was with somebody who were still really great friends, but he wasn't really into the whole leather thing. And um, Don Mike like made me feel like it was okay, you know, for me to go out and, and do that and like be a part of the leather scene. Yeah, Don Mike, I'd say for sure. Um, I can always depend on him for anything. And he, he actually he started the diaper active party that happens at the Bullet Bar, uh-huh. and he's he's also um, 
a very, very um, influential pup from our community as well. So speaking of people like like Don Mike, who kind of welcomed you into the leather scene, um, are there any other people that come to mind that really stand out to you, who you look up to personally? There's definitely a couple. Um, if I could think of one, like right off the top of my head, I'd have to say it was Steve Yanzel, who was, um, unfortunately, he died just a while back. And um, my introduction to the, you know, a lot of the leather community and the, like, especially definitely the title side of it um, was through Steve Yanzel. And uh, his his personal view of the title system was kind of a little dark and skewed, I'd say. He didn't really like it so much. Um, he thought that there was a lot of bullshit that came up with it. And uh, if there was anybody who was no bullshit, it was Duke Yanzel. He was just like, the minute that he felt like wasn't honest, he would say it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned through him to do myself. And so when I see something I don't like, I just, you know, I try to fix it. Um, yeah, so what happened with him and I was I was writing an article on LA Pride. I was working at WeHoville, and um, I was trying to get a hold of everybody who worked on the board, and nobody would talk to me. He was the only one out of all those people that would talk to me. And um, he was, I believe, the president at the time. Um, he, he talked to me, and I kind of, unfortunately, kind of misquoted him, but it was just because a lot of the time when you're writing... You know, like it gets handed to somebody else and they're like, oh, I'll fix this. And they change the context. <laughs> but basically he um, told me that he thought that I was wrong in what I wrote. And what I said to him was that I didn't mean it in that context, basically. And they actually amended the article too. But um, he said that he really, really thought that I was a good you know, writer, but he wanted to just critique me a little bit. And he taught me what I'd like to call like Steve Genzel's six things. And I think about them all the time. Um, one of them was he told me to be who I was. And fuck what the rest of people think about me. <laughs> Which, you know, honestly, I think I still do that <laughs> overall. Then he said, be good at what you do, but if you suck at it, please stop. <laughs> um, which is totally one of the ones I remember all the time. Because when I'm sucking at something, it's like, oh, just stop. You know, just stop for a minute and back up. Like you were saying, you know, take a breath. Um, and then he said, um, most things, including leather titles, are bullshit. He said, so just have fun with it all and you'll be okay. Which is, I say that to people all the time when they're running for titles. I'm like, I'll just pull back a little bit. You don't have to do anything that crazy, you know, to rewrite history or anything like that. Just enjoy yourself and have fun. Right. It'll come out naturally. And then he also told me that awards and speeches are meaningless, especially if they take another goddamn hour at an event. <laughs> Which is so true. As a matter of fact, we um, cut speeches from the LA Pup Contest because of him. After that, I think it was the first one or the second one, he came up to me and was like, you know what, Matthew, just cut the fucking speeches. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he, was, and he explained why. He said, you know, because like for a puppy, it's definitely more, you know, that's not so much speech that's important. It's more like how you relate and, you know, training and all that stuff. Right, so right. the last thing that he told me, or actually the last two things he said were, um, live up to your own expectations, but if you fail, you can try again. And uh, the last one that was really, really important was that he told me that, if you befriend somebody, it's always good to scare them a little bit, and then you can set the person straight in your jacuzzi. And he was just joking with me at the point, you know, it's like, <laughs> like and at that point, he did kind of scare me. I knew he did, and I think he knew he did. So it was just, those were very, very influential things for me at that point in time, and they changed who I was as a person. And I think when you meet people, that kind of connection can live forever inside you. And so, you know, he's alive still, basically through me. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I didn't have the pleasure of getting to know Steve personally before his passing, but 
Uh, we do actually have a bonus episode coming out soon with Steve Genzel and Don Mike. And Don used to have this old podcast called Gay Cetera. And really, they're just talking about gay pride and all of the ins and outs of that. But I just think it's so funny the way you describe him as like a no bullshit kind of guy, because that's almost word for word exactly how Don Mike explained him. Yeah, they were super, super close. I, I remember when, when um, after he passed away, we were looking through his stuff and it was like so weird because, you know, it's like when somebody leaves everything behind and you go through it, it's so impersonal. But like you can have such a direct relationship with somebody and then when they die, it has to change, mm. you know? And so I don't know, everybody that I've connected to, even after, you know, I've, I've lost six people to the coronavirus, all of that, like, is, I feel like it's, you have to change how you speak to them or how you connect to them after that. So I don't know. I personally think like Dom Mike is my bridge to Steve in a lot of ways. You know, whenever I, I feel like I need to talk to Steve, I talk to Dom Mike. And like I said, you live through people. Uh, now, you, you talk about a little bit how you have, you know, different titles and how the bullet you have the most connection with. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that is? Yeah, the, the bullet, basically, the reason why it's like the title that I feel the most connected to is because after I won it, like my entire world changed. I ended up uh, living with Dan Lovell, who I'm still with after, you know, eight years now. And um, it all just kind of branched out from meeting you know, from the bullet bar winning that, I just felt, you know, and Michael, Michael Lara, the, you know, the owner of the bullet bar, he's just one of the most influential people to my whole life because uh, he just changed everything for me. Like he, he always helped me. He's always supported me and he's, you know, smacked my hand when I need it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I appreciate people like that. He really uh, came through for me. That's really awesome. So you and Dan have been together for eight years. Yeah, And it's so funny because when I was doing my research to kind of research the different title holders of, of the bullet, uh, when I Googled you, I saw pictures of you and dad naked on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are pretty fun. <laughs> so uh, what is that all about? Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you guys have like an annual photo shoot or something? Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I wish we could do it more often, but like we had a couple different people just reach out to us and say, hey, you want to come, you know, I'll take your pictures. And there are people that we, he knew, he knew uh, Mark Flanders was the first shoot that we did, which uh, there are some very internationally known photos in that group. Um, basically him. And then after that, Austin Wando approached us and he's amazing photographer from up north. Um, and he did the, the photos you're talking about, the ones that are on, I believe that they're, they're on a site that says Leather and Lace, <laughs> and then it says Matthew yeah. Mullins and Dan Lovell. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny because I think it was uh, the, the first time I met you in person, mm -hmm. we met, and I was like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. I've seen you naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a good way to, you know, start off a conversation. <laughs> definitely. Not my attention. <laughs> but, yeah, we definitely. We, we love doing that. It's so much fun. Like, I loved um, – the shoot with Austin Wando was really amazing. Like he just saw, he got us right away. Like he's, he's just like, oh, go for it. Like he just put us into a scene and say, just go, go for it. And then, you know, Dan and I would just interact and he just caught like the most, in, they're so reflective and so internal. Like I love all of the uh, pictures he took of us. Yeah, they're they're all really hot. And, you know, uh, maybe I could post some on, on Patreon because um, I, I can't really get away with posting some of those on iTunes or something. Right, I doubt it. Yeah. If you want to send me some more risque photos, I'll I'll post those on Patreon, and uh, people can take a look at those. But they are so sexy, and uh, 
you know, you can probably find them online too. So uh, I want to know if they just send you loose like that, do you guys end up having sex or do you end up coming with each other? Or do you have your own pictures of that? <laughs> well, we do have our own pictures of that for sure. But um, yeah, it's definitely more of a, um, well, I wouldn't even say it's off film of the, either though. <laughs> so like, I don't know, we're, we're both exhibitionists and we, we have fun with it. And uh, people taking pictures of you is some of the most fun you can have if you can like let go and enjoy it. And that's what him and I did. We just do it. But we don't really, you know, come or anything like that, like on a photographer or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so not Although, exactly porn, but clothes. Yeah. Although that might not be true either. I don't know. <laughs> <I'm just joking. laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's, that's really hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, I always feel like, you know, with life, you just kind of have to enjoy it and just go for it. There's no reason not to. I mean, we're here now. And I mean, especially now with the way things are and, you know, like pandemic and everything like that, it's good to have somebody to connect to like that. I mean, Dan and I are very, uh, <laughs> um, we've always been kind of just interacting each other and he's awesome. He's like one of the best people I've ever met, obviously. I'm still with him. You're so funny. I could feel you blushing over there. <laughs> I am. I'm totally blushing. That is so cute. <laughs> so uh, have you guys been having like a ton of sex lately because of quarantine? Like oh, what's the dynamic with that? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because it kind of reminds me of like all these stories I used to read when I was, when I was younger about how like, you know, during war times and stuff like that. But there's no war. It's just, you know, pandemic. And uh, I feel like it's, in, a, in a way, I guess, it, it, of sorts. Right, yeah. exactly. And um, I don't know. I feel like, again, it's like, uh, if you have the time, if it shows up, best use it wisely. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Are you, are you guys married? Are you partners? Or? Uh, well, we're partners. Uh -huh. um, we're not married, like, with a certificate, okay. but we might as well be. <laughs> right. I, I didn't know that Dan was, like, your your guy until um, until the last Gloamy. And I, I was telling him the story about how the last Gloamy, somebody, like, was painting on my chest, like, this kind of, like, tower-looking thing that ended up becoming a dick. <laughs> and then he goes, that was me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it was you. <laughs> Yeah, Dan, Dan is a really good artist. His his art is just amazing, and uh, he's working on it constantly. And we both uh, we have like a very serious, deep connection. We met at um, MJ's at my birthday party when I was thirty one, and we had kind of a connection on well from him on stage and me on you know just coming in. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's still another eight, six or seven years, I think actually. Yeah, six or seven years before we. Uh, got together. And uh, that was right after I won Mr. Bullet. <laughs> wow. So I'm, I'm curious, because you've done so many things. And you seem like an all around just a, a leather man. Like, how did you first get involved with leather? Um, leather has been with me since I was very young, like since around 14. My first uh, actual um, master, his name is Ryan. And he, uh, he basically, he, like got me into all of it. And uh, he put he put me in a um, he gave me like he said he wanted to start like a contract with me like a like a slave master contract. Okay. He was twenty three. I was fourteen. You know. Shh. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I know, I know, it's a pretty crazy kid. Um, but I, I decided I wanted to like test things out, and I was really interested in the world. I met him at the at Arsenic and Old Lace at my high school, and um, I was taking photos for it, and then uh, basically. I ended up in, on the top of Edwards Hill, which is this big hill in Huntington Beach. 
where people kind of make out sometimes they'll pull over and they'll make out. I don't think it's there anymore, but <laughs> um, basically, yeah, I mean, we made out and then I was with him for four years after that. Wow. And uh, I tried everything. I, I got into puppy play when I was 14. Like I just, it just was natural for me. Wow. And how did you first discover that you had a puppy side? Oh, it just came out. Like it was, it was like when I was telling what I was saying a minute ago about us writing like the uh, contract together, he left for work for the day and I was sitting at his house and I was like, Hmm, you know, it'd be really interesting to be a puppy. Like, I wonder if, I wonder if anyone's ever done that. Like if they've been a dog, like for their master, like subhuman. And I really got off on it and then also really enjoyed the idea. And then when we actually did it later that night, it's like four o'clock in the morning, he walked me like a dog naked outside four o'clock in the morning in Huntington beach. I mean, pretty intense uh oh my god it's <laughs> crazy um but the thing is, is i knew right then that i was connected to it that it was like at my core so you know i've, I've been a pup ever since although in most relationships i didn't always say that i was two people like i've been in quite a few relationships mm -hmm. that i didn't say anything about it but it's always been there simmering under the surface until around 2000 12 i started kind of bringing it out more again and then 2014 we started dog pound so wow so you know every time i talk to a pup they, they always have sort of like a different um reason why they get off on it and you know for for pup don he kind of you know said it's like a headspace thing I, i've talked to other pups where it's more of like an identity thing or or even like a a fashion thing so what is it about being a pup that gets you off is it is it like being the subhuman yeah, totally. That's exactly it. Like it's connected to my sexual root, basically, mm -hmm. like where I started with sex. And um, I think that it's really important to uh, to realize that like a lot of pup play came from the leather culture, in my opinion. You know, like the, I mean, you can really trace it back to, you know, even the Indians, you know, who used to pretend to be animals and stuff like that. But I also I also really think that where it originated from and where it's expanded from is the leather culture. And I know you've listened to, or you've listened to Don Mike's episode before, right? Of course, yeah. I love him. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. I call him my fairy godfather, fairy dog father. He is a fairy dog father. He really is. <laughs> what did you think of, about what he had to say about the pup culture? Did you have anything that you wanted to add on about that or, or maybe had different opinions on? So like the other day I was actually writing um, a status like, or writing a comment on someone's status on Facebook about my favorite memories as the title holder. And um, it hit me really hard um, because I realized that my favorite moments were all in like 2015. Mm -hmm. Like, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that the puppy culture was kind of reintroducing itself publicly in a lot of ways. And I, I hope that we did something to help with that. I'm not sure. I think Dogtown really kind of threw it out there a lot. We did it at the LA Pride Parade um, and at the LA Pride Festival. Mm -hmm. Um, in the erotic city underground area for two years. And those were some of my favorite memories. Cause like, it was like so pure and all the people who were pups that, you know, were kind of recluse kind of came out again. And it was wonderful. It was really cool to see all these people just sort of come together. Um, and since then it's kind of just <laughs> like, it's like you, you start something and then after a while it keeps moving and it'll move beyond you and larger than you and bigger than you. It's the way I see it with everything. So it's like, um, with the pup community, 
they they've continued to grow and change and morphed into something almost completely different at this point. It's like the root is still there, but they have so many different sides to it now. You can be a pup that, like you said, likes gear, or you can be a pup that likes to just wear the hood all the time, or it's it's all over the place now. Um, there are no rules with sex, especially when it comes to puppy play. And does the, do those changes make you happy or, or not so happy? You know, it's interesting because I support it because I think that if it's a community and they're there to support each other, that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as me, um, I'm still kind of stuck at the beginning of all of this, really. It's like, like, I mean, I'm a pup and it's connected to my sexuality. And I think a lot of people, it's gone beyond that. It's more of a social thing or more of a fashion thing, which is totally cool. I think that you can be a pup in any way that you want to be. And that's cool. That's really what I believe. Yeah, I hear a lot about I hear a lot of that kind of same sentiment with people in the older generations of the leather community. Um, we would call it old guard, um, right? And uh, well, I'm right in the middle. There. You're right in the middle. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm influenced by old guard, like Larry Townsend. All those people, like they help formate my mind. So it's like, you know, he wrote the leather handbook, and I met him at a young age. And so basically, Wait, you met those him? people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No way. Yeah. Back in, yeah. In, in the nineties, basically uh, a little chat room. <laughs> wow. I wish I knew him. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant man. Um, and, uh, he was actually really good friends with, um, a guy that trained me for a while named Tim. And, uh, yeah, like basically I'm influenced by all that and I respect it tremendously, but I also believe that leather has formed into a larger kind of thing, a larger culture. It's before it was all, you know, back doors, very quiet. And like, you know, people didn't really, it was, it was behind, it was like behind closed doors kind of a thing. You know, they had codes to get in they had the hanky code, all of that. And now it's, it's become very open and very in your face, which has definitely good attributes and bad attributes. But I think overall it had to go this way because you can't hold anything back. Yeah. I, I definitely think like I, I was telling um, I forget who I was telling I think it was Don Mike you know like I really love the fact that like the Bullet Bar and the Eagle and like Vault Line those are all kind of bars that are kind of off the radar and I like that aspect of the leather community because I think it definitely makes it special and I think that's what maybe a lot of people you know in the quote unquote old guard reminisce about is like having this kind of secrecy and it's like kind of exclusive and it was it was just special. The exclusiveness is something that I, I do sometimes miss because like now it's like if somebody wants to come in, they just come in and they enjoy themselves, which I guess has its good point too. But like mm-hmm. um, it was very much kind of like a private man's club for a while. And then it also ended up becoming, you know, there's so much more for us to explore. And as far as like all the different genders and um, gender equality, it should be open. You know, it really should. But I also believe that people deserve their sacred spaces, which is something that I learned from the, a title holder from Alaska a long time ago was talking about how she believed that everyone should have their sacred spaces and that everybody should also have places where they can be together. So if it's a party and it's like men only, that's fine. Or if it's, you know, transgender only, that's fine because everyone should have the space where they can be comfortable, be themselves and be happy. But there should also be a place where everyone can kind of meld together and be one. Yeah. So I kind of agree, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes 
the bullet for me so special is that I see it as sort of a melting pot of people. I'm not afraid to bring anybody in there, but then there are events that like, and we're never really exclusive, but there are events that attract a certain crowd and like, especially like a foxhole night, like it's not uncommon for me to go in there and to see a ton of pups running around, you know, and I think that's so amazing, like to come into a space where everybody's in gear. Yeah. And they're all, it's all together. That's the best part about it. Yeah. One thing I've noticed too is in general, like the bar scene has changed a lot over the past, um, I'm 40 basically in May this year. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm sure it'll be a very lonely birthday. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll, I'll, be on, I'll be on your Zoom birthday party. <laughs> No, we'll do it. We'll do something online. We'll figure it out. But yeah, like um, it's uh, basically I've, I've watched like the culture change from being one of those things where it was all quiet and people used to meet each other in restrooms and stuff like that. Like even on newspapers, newspapers where it started, like classifieds and all that. All these people would meet and hook up there. And then it's like now you go to the bars and there's a bunch of people standing there, but they're on their phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it cracks me up, actually, because they're on their phones looking at the people who are in the bar on their phones. No, it's true. You know, I've done that before, and I've since stopped because I, I have gotten a lot of distaste from from that. And that, this was when I was 21, like just coming out into the community. I didn't know anybody. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go on Grinder, find the guy 10 feet away from me who I see at the bar, and right. I'm going to say, hey, what's up? And he responds, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, you're cute. Can I come over there? And he's like... Yeah. And then I go over there and I start a conversation. Like that's how I felt comfortable. But this is the right. the generation, the millennial generation. This is how we grew up. This is how we're comfortable communing, yeah. uh, communicating. And that's what I try to tell like the older community. You know, I sense grown out of that, but that's what I try to tell like the older community is like, you can, we can't blame the, the current generation for only what they know. And if you want them to be different, then you have to show them something different. That I agree with. That's, that I absolutely agree with because I don't care. Everybody uses technology. I mean, everybody uses it to hook up too. I mean, it's it's just easy to do that. Yeah. If and this is what the world has been kind of driven towards, which is easy. Everything's easy, quick, fast. And if it isn't, then it doesn't work. Right. But I think that sometimes a nice you know bar scene where you can like cruise people and no one's on their phone. We've we've thrown parties actually. Dan and I have thrown parties where it says no phones out because that way people have to actually figure out how to communicate even if they don't know how to they can learn how to by watching people you know and uh i think that that's really super important for people to be able to communicate and it's going to be even harder now after this situation with covid19 yeah. i really feel like it's going to be a lot harder for people to be comfortable in a room together again yeah it's true it's like even even my family members, I went to go visit them, and I was just like, "Don't hug me, don't touch me." Like I don't know where you've been. Like I'm here to visit, and it's just like scary, you know. It is. It's very scary. Uh, there's a Simpsons quote that um, a friend of mine brought up recently. It says, "We're all frightened and horny," <laughs> and like literally, I think that's exactly kind of like, especially like I'm a gay man, um, and like in, in general, from what I can tell, our entire group is like that we're frightened and mm -hmm. horny so what do we do because right now we're self-isolating we can't you know hook up with each other or anything i've talked a lot to a lot of people and i've definitely used camp four to masturbate and all sorts of stuff you know but like i feel like it's important to 
at this point, since we can't be together, we can figure out ways to be together, which is why we're throwing all of our parties online until further notice. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's crazy time right now. And I feel like it definitely could change a lot as far as when we come out of it. You know, it, I, I jokingly say like after this whole thing, is over. We're going to have a huge orgy. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's your, unless we come up with a vaccine, some foolproof way of, of really defeating this virus, that won't happen. And well, they've found a couple of things. They're, they're looking at it right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, it'll be in human trials before, before it comes out publicly. Um, so we're still about a year off before anything like that could happen. Yeah. I do believe that since this is a, a kind of a flu of sorts, that it will be seasonal. So meaning like it's gone, it'll be gone by summertime. That's my opinion. I don't know if it will be, but if we all self-isolate, it'll be gone by summertime and then it'll come back next year in spring. Or some people say at the end of fall, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody really knows what's going on no. because this is something we've never really experienced before. But what I can say is that it will change things a lot when we actually do come out of it. And like I was saying, everyone who had a birthday party that you know was during this, I want to throw a giant birthday party at the bullet after it's over. For that would everyone. be amazing. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Like, no, no phones and no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That sounds like a great birthday party. To me. <laughs> you know, I was thinking like when I was 21 and I came out and even though we had prep now and everything, and I, I'm 28 now. So this was seven years ago. My only knowledge when I was coming out being homosexual was like, you could die of AIDS. And that's all my parents fed me, you know, with that knowledge. So I would go out to the bathhouses and I was afraid to touch people. Like I I honestly, I didn't know anything about HIV. I didn't know how it was spread. All I knew was like, if you're gay and you have sex, you might get it. And it took me years, even after I was educated, I still had like this fear. And it wasn't only maybe in the last four or five years till I kind of started to get over that and have like more of a sexual liberation. And now I feel like it's starting all over again you know, because of this. Well, it's, the, the thing is, it's funny because like everybody's like Howard Hughes or, you know, like, like they're like, they're all of a sudden everybody's just like concerned about everything, spraying everything down with, you know, antibacterial spray and everything. Everyone's getting crazy now. But what's interesting about that is like, as I was growing up, I was totally terrified of HIV when I was younger because my mom was like, look, if you're going to be gay, you're going to get AIDS. That's literally what she told me. Yeah. And I love my mother and I still do. And she died when I was 19. But like, I grew up thinking that the minute that I had sex with somebody, I was going to get it. So when I was like 12 years old and I had sex for the first time, I thought I had HIV. That must've been terrifying as a 12 year old. It was, it was absolutely horrifying. But the thing is, is what I've learned from that is like, in general, people kind of like overblow you know everything's overblown or it's overreacted to and it's much larger than it actually is mm-hmm. and i think that in general when it comes to uh hiv it's not it's, it's definitely not something that should be seen as a negative thing i think it's something that we should all understand happens to some people and that no matter what we're all equal and we all have the same the same heart yeah. inside that's kind of what i believe i really i don't believe anyone's actually evil i think people actually are all good and when it comes to HIV, it's one of those things that basically the way that I see it is we should all support each other and that there should not be a stigma attached to it. Yeah. And that the best thing you can do is just support people and love the people regardless of whatever is going on with them. Like people have learned throughout time, I think, to judge one another 
And I actually trace it back. This is crazy. You're going to think I'm nuts when I say this, but I trace it back to um, seeing an accident on the freeway. So personally, I believe it's like it's like um, a freeway accident. Everybody's kind of attracted toward the negative. It's like when you're going past by somebody on the freeway, after there's an accident, everyone stops, they look at it, and it slows traffic down, and everybody's looking at it. It's a very negative thing. I think in general, humans are trying to draw on toward looking at the negative before the positive or even not even looking at the positive because if it's positive you don't need to fix it hmm. if you don't need to fix it then there's no reason to pay attention to it in our heads we're like oh well that's good it's just default it's good and i think that that causes a lot of problems with us because we're so focused on fixing all these negative things we don't remember the positive does that make sense no yeah that's true it's definitely true and when you you know it happens in, in all aspects of our lives i, I remember a couple years into my relationship and this happens with anybody in a relationship like over a couple of years like you start to like pick and poke at your partner's like little things that gets on your nerves and then you forget to look at the fact that you're with them for a reason you're with them because they make you happy in all these other different ways and then you know maybe they I don't know don't close the toothpaste or they leave their clothes out on the floor and then that starts to like own the relationship and then you catastrophize it and then you have to take a step back sometimes and be like there's so many other good things I see I see I say to people all the time, look, you're only pissed off because you want to be. <laughs> and like, that's the truth. I mean, honestly, you can put up with as much bullshit as you want to. And you can also look at anything as a negative or a positive. So it's like the way I see it, you could be like, everyone around me is doing horrible things. Or you could be like, okay, everyone around me is existing as they are. That's kind of the way I choose to look at it most of the time. It's because if you look at it the other way, it's just going to cause a lot of pain and stress in your life. So. It's always good to just give people, you know, a little bit of room to be themselves and grow. Yeah, definitely. And just to be forgiving sometimes. And, you know, just knowing that not everybody is going to be perfect. Uh, but, you know, before we get too ahead of ourselves, I did want to ask you a little bit about your coming out story. So what was your coming out experience like? Did you have to go through like a whole transition with your family and your friends? Or how, how was that for you? Because I know you had some early, early experiences. I did. And um, my mother did not really so much know about those. <laughs> like, um, I came out to her when I was 18. And um, so basically, it was like 1998. <laughs> um, and we were in a really bad argument. And um, it had just been discovered that I had been skipping adult school <laughs> for months. Um, I had a secret internet boyfriend in San Francisco. And I think what, there was a couple other things. Oh, um, I'd accidentally run up like, I don't know, something like $400 on the phone bill talking to my boyfriend at the time. And like, my mom was trying to, fig uh, she figured that all out on the same day that I decided to come out to her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a lot. <laughs> and I think I probably at the time was kind of using that as a excuse to like, get away from facing all the shit that I'd done. Um, but basically, uh, she defaulted to what most parents say in the generation said, please don't get AIDS and die. And yeah. um, the afternoon, I hopped on a bus and I moved up to San Francisco and I lived with my boyfriend for a month up there. And I hated it, <laughs> did not like it at all. <laughs> um, and uh, so I left and came back down to uh, like Huntington Beach area. And I lived with my, one of my first masters actually, like, like my first, you know, master relationship with somebody. And, uh, you know, like, basically, I connected with him, and he let me stay at his place. And um, I got really close to him and his family at that point, and uh, it just felt much easier and free. Then um, I went back down to Huntington Beach, 
moved everything down there again and I just decided to stay with him. And my mom told my dad and then it just was, it was really, really intense. But like, I don't know, at that point, my mom was just kind of, she wanted to see me again. Mm-hmm. Um, she also passed away, unfortunately, two years later. She had um, a staph infection of the lungs and died. Wow. So I don't know if I had any advice I'd give people for, you know, coming out and stuff like that. It's just to be very honest with them. And if they don't understand, they still come around, you know? And uh, it's always important to bridge that communication with your parents because when they die, again, like I said, you have to kind of change everything, yeah. connect with them in a different way. Wow. And, and do you still have issues with some of your family or, or are you kind of in your own scene now? Well, my father was, you know, he was having, he had a lot of trouble when we were growing up. Uh, my, my mom kind of held the family together. Yeah. And um, we had some abuse problems and stuff like that. But after all that, you know, after my mom died, I moved up to uh, Ventura and I started staying with him. And he told me that, you know, he was really sorry for everything. And we connected in a way that we never had before. And so it's really important. I feel like, um, I'm sorry, I get emotional about this stuff, but of course. Um, I feel like one of the things that you can do with people uh, in your life is give them a second chance and to always connect with them, especially if there's somebody who uh, basically decided to take care of you. You know, like mm-hmm. they don't have to be directly related to you, but you know, you know who your parents are. <laughs> right, right. Now I can definitely uh, relate, and you know, although we have different stories, I think that a lot yeah. of us can understand that that same kind of dynamic of having parents that maybe may or may not agree with your life or your choices and then you know still choosing to connect and and love each other through that it's super important it's uh like one thing that i can say too is like as far as um coming out goes there's really never a right time for it <laughs> yeah you kind of just have to go for it and do it and you know you have to always take the chance that maybe it won't be the situation that you hoped it would but eventually it will you know they'll come around i really think that most parents do come around if they don't then maybe you know try connecting with somebody else who you knew from that period of time like i mean my grandparents also helped raise me so it's like you know they're kind of my parents too in a way yeah definitely well uh Let's pivot to uh, uh, another topic, and uh, I wanted to kind of go back to leather, and I wanted to know, as a as a title holder of multiple titles, uh, what has been your, your mission or your vision for the community as a whole? So when I first got into doing all of the events and everything with Dan, um, my main objective was to, to kind of solve a problem that was a problem for me when I was growing up. Like, mm-hmm. I was... Um, you know, like I realized I was a puppy at 14. I didn't know any other puppies. I didn't know anybody, you know? Yeah. So like I automatically assumed that I was alone and that there was something wrong with me. And I don't think that's a good thing at all. I think that's actually a really bad thing to, to like feel that way. But I literally was like, is there something wrong with my brain? Is there something wrong with me? And the reality was that there was nothing wrong with me. It's just, I hadn't really come into myself yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that sounds really bad, but, um, yeah, like basically, I hadn't I hadn't grown enough yet to understand what I was and why it was what it was. Um, so when I first got into the events, like everything, and started making those, I wanted to provide a place for people to meet. That was my main thing. It's like, like I was a puppy who thought he was alone in the world. I'm like, I'm the only puppy, you know. Like, of course, when you're <laughs> younger, you know, 
everything's overblown and in, in, right. in teenager. You're like, oh, it's all about me, 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 me. And that's how I was. I was just like, oh, okay, um, I'm the only pup in the world. What the hell is going on with me? What's wrong with me? And then I knew as I got older, you know, like I said, around 2014, I was like, okay, this is something that we could all come together and be together and enjoy it. And like, then there's that person who was, you know, someone who's just like me back then, who's like, I'm, I'm unique, but I have no place where I fit in. I'm like, oh, well, let's give them a place to fit in. And that's why we created Dog Pound was because like, I wanted there to be a place for people to go and connect and, and, you know, show each other that they both love the same thing. Even if it's completely different to them, they still love it. Right. So you got into it at such a young age. I mean, I'm curious what, could you, could you maybe like, and you don't have to, if this is too detailed, but like maybe play out for us. What was your first kink scene that just imprinted into your mind and just got the whole thing going for you? So I've been into like, like when I was a kid, I used to draw pictures. This is so ridiculous. And I can't believe I'm telling you this, but like, I don't mind. I think everyone should, should hear stuff like this. Like I, when I was younger, I was like, I draw pictures of Aladdin, like Disney's Aladdin. I draw pictures of him naked and jerk off to them. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know that sounds weird as shit, right? But like, the thing is, is like, like I knew what I liked and I knew that it was something different. And so I decided to create it, you know, and uh, I kind of fall in that whole thing my entire life. It's like, if there's something that I like, I want to share it with people and I want them to enjoy it too. Because I know now, especially that if you have something that you're into and you think it's like your little dirty secret, it's not your little dirty secret. There's a ton of people who are into it, you know, and it's, it feels a lot better when you have the support of the community behind you. So I think it's really important to always be open to different ideas, different people, different, you know, different things. And uh, that's just kind of how I started though, was yeah, literally like drawing pictures of not even just Aladdin, but like different things, different people in my head. I draw them in my little notebook and I took off to them. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, that's how it started. And I was a Boy Scout. I was a naughty Boy Scout, which I know this is a story that everyone will love to hear. <laughs> I was a naughty Boy Scout, a Boy Scout that basically jerked off with his troop that kind of stuff. What? Yeah. Oh no my joke. God. Yeah, How did yeah. that even happen? Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's funny is, is like, uh, when you're actually doing it, it's more nerve wracking than, than fun. But, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I played as a few of the Boy Scouts and I was with them in my troop and, <laughs> um, it sounds so weird when I think about it and I think back on it and, um, I'm very, open to the idea that people should be exploring when they're younger. Like, I mean, that's how you learn who you are is by trying different things. So, you know, I well, tried did, a any, lot. did any of them turn out uh, gay that, you know, or were they just experimenting? And I think most of them out? were probably just experimenting. Yeah. I most see. of them were, but like, um, I don't really actually know anybody. I, I can remember one person's name and I don't remember the rest of them at all from that, that hmm. period of my life. I've had a very, I've had a lot of people in my life and I've done a lot in my life and I was a raver in the early nineties. So I did a lot of drugs back then and like I've, I've been through a lot. So it takes a lot for me to kind of remember those younger years. <laughs> what would you say is your most um, memorable kink experience like overall? Well, that's, that's so hard to say <laughs> because um, 
honestly, I've had a lot of really, really crazy kinky experiences. Um, even, and I mean, even with, because uh, like me and my partner, we're open, you know, we, we, we play with other guys and sometimes we play separately. And uh, I personally feel like if you're in a gay relationship, you either have to be open to that or, you know, you can, you can always say, yeah, we're going to be monogamous, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it works for some people. But for most gay people I've met, it doesn't seem to work like that. Like mm -hmm. they want to explore still, and it's because I think like naturally, primally, we're we're the the spreaders of seed. I know that sounds really bad, <laughs> but it's the <laughs> truth. It's like we, we started, you know, like that's what we were basically created to, you know, make the species continue. And we, I mean, people weren't really meant to be like with one person their entire life. That's just kind of like a romantic thing that kind of developed out of the you know, the early 1900s, my, my opinion. You know well, I mean? yeah, and then, like, just being in, 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 like, the kink leather world in general, if you're going to say that I'm going to stop exploring, right. then you're really saying, like, I'm not going to stop exploring to discover myself. And, like, right. I don't think people right. in the kink community typically do that. And not to say that you can't keep exploring if you're in a monogamous relationship, but that's just kind yeah. of the nature of it, maybe. Well, because, I mean, there's there's a limitation to it. If you're with one person, you can definitely expand, but you can only expand as far as they're willing to. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, I so see. It's that. like, like uh, if there's more people involved, also there's you know there's sides of me that I know I can't fulfill for Dan, and Dan can't fulfill for me. So it's like you know those sides we find other people who fulfill those sides, and it makes us a stronger couple because we allow it. You know what I mean? Dan and I have no issues. We we do not fight about that kind of stuff. We just right. have to happen because it's, in my opinion, I feel like it's really important to be open to sharing yourself with more than one energy. It's like, it's an energy thing that happens between people when they have sex, a kinetic thing. And I think that that is widely not seen as okay. And uh, it's sad because I think people could learn a lot about themselves and they could grow as a human being a lot more and quicker if they just allow themselves to do so. So let me ask you one thing. Uh, would you, as someone who's in like an open relationship, do you prefer to have sex with people you don't know or, or have sex with your friends? So that's a really good question, actually, because a lot of people I know tend to be really into like the anonymous situation where it's like, it's just someone they don't know real quick, whatever, do it, never see again. I actually tend to develop more relationships with the people that I play with and, um, I'd like to see them repeatedly because I feel like, again, it's, it's, it's almost like a maintenance thing. It's like you, you, you hang on to these people, they're your friends. You can trust them. You know that it's going to be okay trying different things with them. If you continue on and you keep just doing it randomly with people, eventually you're going to, you're going to have some situation that's going to be really horrible for you. you know? Right. I heard this, this, uh, it's actually, I don't do this often, but if you haven't heard this podcast before, go listen to it. It's called Talk About Gay Sex, Tags, Tags yeah. Podcast. And there's an episode where there was this, I think he's a doctor, not like a medical doctor, but he was saying like, if you're going to have sex with, who are you going to have sex with? People you don't know, people you don't trust. Why won't you have sex with your friends who you already have a connection with? Right that kind of stuck in my mind and some of the best experiences I've had have been with some of my friends where we can like, okay, this is an experience that we're sharing together. We don't have to fall in love or anything. Um, but just knowing the person on some kind of intimate level does, I think elevate the sexual experience, at least for me. Absolutely. 
Well, because you're also learning each other's, you know, kinks. You're learning each other's fetishes. So it's like, you know what they like versus somebody who doesn't know what you like, who's just trying things arbitrarily just to see what happens, you know? Right. Um, I guess that, in a way, too, is what probably drives the more anonymous scene because uh, an anonymous scene between two people, you have no idea what's coming. And I, I think that people become addicted to that in itself. Hmm. It's like, oh, I, I'm going to be with somebody. I don't know anything about them. They're going to be like this or that. And it's it becomes a kink in itself. It's like oh. non-sex. You know, I, and I am into it, the anonymity of it, too. But I, I don't know, just more times. I, I would rather be with somebody that I at least know to some degree. Just because you're friends with somebody doesn't mean it can't be anonymous. The anonymity of figuring out their kink and figuring out their sexual drives as you go is like its own thing as well. Definitely. And like with more experience with one person or any person, I should say, the more interesting it can get, you know? And so like, I feel like it's really important to always, though, remember that, like, with Dan and I, we've even been interested in polyamorous relationships before. We've tried a couple different people, and, you know, that didn't really work out. But we're for each other. If he wants something, I want it for him. It doesn't matter if it's something that I won't partake in myself. I want him to have it because to hold somebody back is to halter their growth. Wow, that's deep. Can you say that one more time? Basically, you want to let them grow. You want to let them become something you know, bigger, you want to make sure that they continue on. And if you don't do that, you're halting their growth. So it's like by, by saying you can't do this, you're halting their growth. And if you do that, then it's like they're less fulfilled than they could be. So it's important to always be open to the idea of allowing people to have experiences that are beyond you or without you. So that's the way reason why we're, we're both very open to the idea of whatever the other one wants. That's really amazing. That's really trusting of you and that's you know a lot of some of my friends who are in straight relationships a lot of times they think like oh wow you're in an open relationship that's just an excuse to just fuck around and be a whore and it's like yeah i want to fuck around and be a whore what's wrong with that but at the same time like exactly what you said it does take a level of trust and it and it means you're allowing the other person to just be who they are and be their entire self and learn you ever watch? You ever watch the show Daria? What's it called? Daria. It was like it's a cartoon in the nineties, no. the mid nineties. That was like about this crazy. It was about this like recluse kind of weird girl that like lived, um, lived in a high school where all the people were popular and she wasn't popular. She was the weird kid. Hmm. And one of the things she said, there's a, there's a line in it that someone says in it that's she, they say, if you hold a butterfly in your hand and you really tightly, you'll crush it and it will die, and you have to let it go so that it can live and be the best that it can be. And that, oddly enough, it's, it's kind of said as a joke in the show, but it literally affected me very deeply when I heard it. Because I do believe that it's important for you to be able to let go of the things that you love. Let them move on and become something larger while still being there to support them. Me and my ex-boyfriend, we're like the best friends ever. I love him. I literally love him. Okay? And... We're not together anymore, but we support each other. I feel like that's one of the important things. It's like, oh, if you have a relationship that doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that you guys don't care about each other and don't love each other. It's more that you had to grow and keep moving in a certain direction. To allow somebody to do that and still have a relationship with them, that's brilliant. That's that's really where it's at. And that's true love, I think, is like when, when you realize that if you're holding some this person back, you know, that you have the 
control and ability to to let them go if you have to. And I think that's why so many people are maybe afraid of it because like they don't want to have to let go. Well, and that's the thing is, is like if we're all going to be greedy and we're going to be like holding everything down, everything that we're holding down is just going to be miserable. Yeah. And that's the truth. If you're holding somebody down and not letting them be more than they, you know they want to be, you're limiting them. And I don't want to ever limit anyone in my life. Like I love all of my friends, all the people who I've met. I want them to do and have the best life that they can. And I also want them to not focus on things they can't control, which is 90% of, I think, our problems. We all focus on things we can't control. Yeah, I think this is a really great insight. And and just to be clear to those who are listening, we're not saying that one way or the other is right or wrong. I think that this is just a perspective, you know. And those of you that maybe don't have the perspective of being in an open relationship, this is probably a good opportunity for you, just for you to hear it from the horse's mouth, <laughs> Matthew Mullins. <laughs> <laughs> Nay. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, um, I do agree with you. Like, I think that we all kind of base our lives and how we're supposed to act around this, like, Judeo-Christian ethic of the 1940s and 50s. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's because our parents brought us up thinking, this is how you are. This is what you do. You get married. You do that. You have kids. Blah blah blah. Like it's always very cookie cutter. Well, the minute that you know the internet kind of hit hit the world, that cookie cutter existence started morphing into really whatever you want to be. You know. Right. And I think that really that's what changes. Technology changed everything uh, when it comes to social relations. Now I remember you mentioned earlier about people having their own sacred spaces and also having a level of inclusivity. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about having like a space that's accepting of everyone. So, like when we started doing like the puppy the puppy stuff, like we started with uh, Dog Pound, and then the last pup contest happened in two thousand fifteen. I it's really important for me to make sure that everyone has their place where they can be and be comfortable. If they're not comfortable there, then there's really no point for the entire thing. I feel like people are only going to be themselves if they're comfortable. And giving people that space where they can be comfortable is important. Also, independently of others. Which, you know, that's why a lot of puppy stuff actually ends up happening at people's houses and not in the bar scene at all. It ends up happening somewhere random, like at someone's house. You'll have, like, a dungeon party, whatever. All the puppies go there. And in general, I think that it's really important to have your personal space where you can be yourself and feel comfortable. And then there's also places where you should be comfortable with being with other people Yeah, because it's really important to experience what you like, but also to grow and learn about things that you, you are not comfortable with. So when it comes to events like Cocksock is a great example of this. Cocksock is an event that is driven towards testicular cancer. Basically anyone who has testicular cancer, it's the most common thing, 15 to 35 for people to have, like guys. And uh, we've donated thousands and thousands of dollars towards it. But we throw these parties where people come and they celebrate their masculinity. And it's definitely a man's party. You know what I mean? Right. And that's the place where they can connect. But then we have other places like Beast. Okay, Beast is another party we throw. Beast is a party that's made for people who are into animal role play. Any kind of animal role play. Because... You know, puppies are exalted. They're always on the, on, the, on the top when it comes to what people think of when they think of animal role play. But there's tons of other people out there that are into it, and they all deserve a place to play too. So we've created that party so they can all come together for that. You know, it's like you can really open up the options for people as long as it's offered. And I think that 
the bullet bar is one of the places that definitely that does that the best where it's like like there's a party for everyone there um michael lara he's he runs the bullet bar and owns it mm-hmm. and basically he as you know obviously mm-hmm. mr bullet 2020 um, <laughs> but like uh he basically, you know, has made a place where all sorts of people can come together and be who they are and be accepted and enjoy themselves. And I think that's a really hard thing to pull off yeah. these days. So what do you say to the those people that, the people that want a place that ex- is exclusive to them, but, you know, being the, an entity like the Bullet Bar, being open to everybody, how do we find that balance? So... What I believe is that people should have their spaces where they can be who they are without any restraint. And if you aren't accepting of that, you shouldn't be there. That's my opinion. Okay. Yeah, it's something that that Don Mike said earlier uh, was respect the space that you're in. And we were talking about like, you know, women being in like a, like, I don't know, like a cock sock night or something like that. Like if you're going to come in and like freak out and like cause a scene, then maybe the cock sock is not the night for you. But if you're going to come in and be able to respect the space, then like that's the night that is for you too. But it's like, like, like Lomi is a good example. It's like, if you want to come and then bring your, you know, bring people to Glomi, Glomi is a very open party. Like you can go as anyone or with anyone and it won't be a problem. We're completely accepting of it. It's much more across the board, accepting, of all sorts of different kinds of people will draw whatever you want on you. We'll paint everybody. It's great. But like, you know, there are those parties where I feel like it's, it's, it, it would fall into the line of being a sacred space where you should be respectful of the idea that this is for that. You know? Right. Right. You know, like a foxhole or like a, a gear night or, or something like that. Right. Precisely. I mean, those parties are made for a, a specific kind of person, but anyone can go to it. That's it's, it's always important to remember that people are going to show up to anything. <laughs> like you can throw anything, and someone who's probably not going to be into it's going to show up, and they may not like it, but they're there, so they they have to be respected. Right, and then the beauty of it is too, like if you're going to walk off the street into a bar, and you find out that it's dog pound night, maybe that's the first time you see puppies, and maybe that's how you get into it. Well, that's exactly it. Like there's a great party they throw called um. Uh, Hold on, let me remember the name of it. Um, Are you thinking of Pleasure Pain? Yeah, yeah. There's Pleasure and Pain, the party that Frank Cavallo throws, you know, with his boy. And that party is a great example of that. It's like, come in, this is a taster. Try and see if you like this, if you like that. And you can do it, and there's not going to be anybody there, you know, shaking their head at you, you know? Right. Um, but that's the important thing is is we can't have head shakers there. It's, it's, it's like a place where people can go and explore things and learn more about themselves. In general, that's why I throw events. I throw events. I throw events so people can find themselves at the event. That's really great. And as we're uh, talking about about the Bullet Bar, and the Bullet has really, like I said in the past, it's it's become my home, and in a sense. And Michael Lara has been doing an amazing job with taking care of the patrons and doing what he can with this whole thing. Can't even believe yeah. it, honestly. Like he has a group of people that he talks to regularly, and we're all we're all involved together in talking about it. And uh, basically, right now, you know, the Bullet Bar has a lot of older patrons in it that he's become very concerned about. You know, because like with COVID nineteen going and killing indiscretionally, it's really important to have somebody there who's like, "Are you okay? Can I get you something?" And so the Bullet Bar. As kind of in its off time, since we can't have the bullet bar right now, 
has morphed into this group of people that care about everybody and we're all running around and donating stuff and buying food for people in the markets and bringing it to people who are sick and making sure everybody's safe and that they have masks and gloves and whatever they need. And that's Michael Lara's influence. He's a brilliant man. I honestly have never met anyone more caring in my life. You know, he's amazing. The the week before the it was like even two weeks before it like this this whole thing was still over in, in China and Europe and he was like I just installed hand sanitizer dispensers all around the bar. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that's like very proactive of you. And like, even when the bar closed, he still showed he had like two or three portable hand washing stations that he had ordered. And like, he was like, we got you. And those hand washing stations right now, he's lent to the North Hollywood Police Department. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so like right now, those are being used by people who have to deal with the public constantly. So again, protecting more lives, protecting people. And that's, I think what's most important in general right now is that we protect each other. That's why social distancing is important. That's why all of it is important. It's like we have to take care of each other because one mistake could cause a death. Yeah, it's true. And we've already lost people in the leather community. Right. And I mean, every time that I go online, like if I go on Facebook, I'm literally going through the newsfeed very slowly because I don't want to miss anything. At the same time, I don't want to see anything that's going to be like, oh, this person that you've known for the last 20 years is dead, you know? Um, And it could happen to anybody. And, you know, like they say, a good percentage of us are all asymptomatic, but your partner could not be, anybody could not be. So it's important to protect each other and support each other through this. And I feel like the bullet has gone above and beyond. Even with, I've made a video that they, they basically took all the bartenders of the bullet and they all were saying different things that you should do, washing your hands, take care of yourself, you know, stay at home. And that video was really important to Michael. He wanted to make sure that it had all the information in it and that people could watch it and then understand that we're still here. You know, everybody's still here. Our community is still here. We care about each other and we want to make sure that everyone's okay. And it's really important to have that right now because it is very isolating to self-isolate. <laughs> yeah. No, and the, the, this is why I love the bullet because at a time like this, even though we can't see each other, I feel even more connected to the bar than I ever have before because of the people in it. Right. I mean, we have a Facebook group right now for them and everything. Just yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm just going to randomly put, I'm like, oh, I'll post your favorite picture of the bullet. That, that post exploded with all these beautiful pictures of different people who have met or, you know, had a moment at the bullet that was so impacting to them that they posted about it. And it's beautiful to see that one thing can just drive all these people together and hold a community together. And I feel like if you're you're a bar, that's what you want. You want to be the space where people feel comfortable enough to be themselves and enjoy themselves. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I I know we wanted to talk about the pup contest. I I know you've been in a a ton of contests, and (laughs) it went by so fast, I might have missed some of them. But what is a pup contest? So a pup contest is basically a title holder contest, which is a contest where you have... Which you have to have a title before you compete as a pup? Well, no, no. Actually, the LA Pup Contest is open to all people, like all pups. Pups, let's say that, all pups. We prefer that the person would be a pup for a while beforehand, but we've had people win who've only had a few few months pup experience even. Mm. But really what it is is we, we get a panel of judges together. They all pick somebody who they think kind of exemplifies what it is to be a pup in Los Angeles. And that person ends up for a year representing Los Angeles as a pup. 
and and the SoCal region in general. Have you been a judge on this? I can't be a judge because I'm a producer, ah. but I have judged other puppy contests. I've judged the International Pup Trainer Contest in 2016. In general, yeah, we we've, we um there's several contests that are at the highest level, which are all international contests. There's three of them for pups. I think now two actually. You know, you've got your regional contests, which after we did LA Pup, there were 17 other places in the United States that decided to have pup contests after the Los Angeles Pup Contest happened, mm -hmm. because started realizing that it was something that should happen. You you need somebody to look to, someone that you can like say, this is someone who represents what I am and is looking out for me and is taking care of business. Um, we've had five of them now, and all five of them have been unique and different and focused on different things. It started with Pup Zero in uh, 2016, and he was absolutely the perfect beginning for it. He was very focused on making sure people feel connected and took care of the community. And that's the whole point is really, for, for me, when I... I was with Dan and we decided to make a pup contest. We wanted it to be something that everyone could stand behind and say, hey, this is something that's bringing people together. It's something that's helping people. You know, someone that's there that people can look to for information. The first, Zero being the first one, that he, he messaged me one day and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe how many messages I'm getting. My head's going to explode. <laughs> because people were all looking towards him as the person who had all of the knowledge, yeah, <laughs> all of the info for pup stuff in Los Angeles. So... It really is a lot to handle, but I think really what it's more about is just relating to people and being there for people and supporting the group as a whole, which is a lot. So what are you, what are you looking for in a, in a pup when you're going through a competition? Like what characteristics and virtues are we going for here? Basically what we're looking for is somebody who is really a pup, like at heart, like it's inside of them. If it's a person that's a pup because they like the way that it looks, that's fine. If it's a pup that's really a pup inside, like they feel like like part of them is a primal beast in a way, that's kind of where I'm at. Like I feel like like my puppy side is really connected to my core. And so they're kind of looking for that. They're looking for somebody who has that and also has the attributes to be active in the community and help people and to help, you know, the Los Angeles leather crowd, everybody. Now, is this open to handlers as well or just like straight um well basically right now it's just the los angeles pup contest and it has been that way since it began okay um it started in 2015 with this 2016 title holder and all the way up until now 2020 but you know there's always room for growth is the way i look at it we can always add more or you know right now the way it works is perfect like it, it works perfectly and um i definitely want to include trainers because i feel like it's really an important thing to include but I also would love to include pets in general. I feel like, you know, we've met, I've met cats. <laughs> I met a lizard in San Francisco. I mean, I've met different people. Wait, who... hold up, hold up. I've never heard of this before. Can you, can you go into this? I, okay, I was just wrapping my head around pups, but now we have lizards and cats? Oh, there's lizards, there's cats, there's, I mean, I know a wombat. Like, I mean, I okay, know lots of people. Okay, explain this a little bit for, to me. So it, it's just in general then, because the, the, I know the pup community is pretty big or it's grown a lot since. It has. It, it, so is there like a lizard community or like. I, you know, and the thing is, is, that's the best part about all of this is I don't really know if there's a lizard community, but he should, if, if there's a lizard there, they should be allowed to be a part of the community, especially anything that has pet play involved in it. 
you know? Okay. And uh, like for me, um, the puppy side of me, it's, it's at my core. It goes to my primal instinct to be an animal. And I feel like sexuality is kind of tied to your core as well. It's a primal instinct. So um, it's, it's very easy to, like one of my favorite parts about being in pup space is that my head, all the things I worry about, bills, life, you know, work, everything, all that can kind of just fall away and I can focus on just being this animal, this being that exists just to be an animal. And it's so freeing. It's almost like people talk about meditation. And to me, in some ways, it can kind of cross the barrier of meditation mm-hmm. where it's like you're a pup and it's it's like that's what you are at your core. You're an animal. We all are. We're all animals. Well, now I'm very so, intrigued. If you know a, a lizard or a cat to come on the podcast, I'd be very interested in hearing hearing from them. Oh, I don't think I know I, they clearly sure. don't have, a, 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 at least in, from my point of view, a lot of visibility because I've never heard of them until now. Well, and that's the thing is the more that something garners visibility, the more it changes and morphs into something else. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it starts, you know, it's like when I, when I was a pup, when I was younger, I'm the only pup in the world. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm, I'm messed up in the head, whatever. And then like, like I realized that it's actually okay to be this thing. Like it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. It's something that's part of you. Right. So you accept it or you don't accept it. You know, and accepting it's going to get you the better, better results. And uh, if someone's a lizard, then they should accept themselves as a lizard, whatever. Like, it sounds crazy, but honestly, I feel like the best thing you can do for yourself is to be yourself. No matter what that is, no matter what it entails, as long as you're yourself and you're not hurting anybody, you're in a good spot. Definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. Um is somebody storing over there? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he could be. I, I <laughs> Is that your right dog? Now. No, I don't have. Actually, I have two dogs, but they don't live with me. I've actually okay. I miss them so much right now. Seriously, like I have two dogs. I have a great game pointer mix named Dexter, uh-huh. and then I have a little pit bull lab mix named Lucy. And I haven't seen them since COVID happened because. Yeah. Uh, my ex-partner doesn't want anyone over at his place because he's self-isolating and it's 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 very hard to not see your animals for a long period of time like this. Which is another example of like what I'm talking about in general. It's like I was the only pup that I knew, so I felt completely alone in the world, you know? It's really important to have a community and definitely to accept others in your community. Um, a lot of people in the pup community, this is a good example too, I, a lot of people in the pup community these days, um, you know, they don't really, they, they go to a lot of the parties that are in Long Beach, they go to Barking Billiards, they go to all those other parties, and um, I don't really know them very well, but they know of me, and I don't really talk to them very much, and it makes me sad, because honestly, I wish that I could be connected to them more, but it's that, it's like, it's again, it's an extension of the scene. The scene grows no matter what. If you If you help push it along, that's great. But it's going to keep going without you and right. get bigger and bigger. And that's how it should go. Like It should be bigger than one person. A community is never one person. Mm. Yeah. And it's important to remember that even if you aren't a, a part of it all the time, that you're still a part of it. So I feel like across the board, people should be accepting of each other. You know, after a different estimation of what a pup is or whatever, or what a leather man is, it's important to accept each other. And if you need space to be with someone else, there's plenty of time to do that privately. Yeah. And I think that 
overall people do a lot of things privately. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, because I don't, we've already been talking for a while. A while. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or bring up before we wrap it up? Yeah, I'll I'll bring one thing. Sure. Up. Um, uh, I personally feel like it's important to say that you know we're all growing at different paces. We all start in one place and we all keep going. Uh, but the thing is, is like we're all in different spaces. Maybe some of them are mature in one way and not mature in another way, and that changes and levels out. So like, if there's someone in your life who you feel is an enemy or someone that you don't get along with, you don't necessarily know that that's not going to change. It's important to always be accepting of people and no matter what, even if there's somebody that you don't like, try and understand that they're not in the same place that you are in that time. It's important to continue on and to support each other and eventually, hopefully, you guys can connect, you know? There's people in my life who I miss tremendously that decided they didn't want to support me because of certain things that were going on with me. And the way I see it is, we really should all just kind of put that away and support each other, especially right now with the things that are going on in the world. It's really important that our community can see each other as someone who's there to help them, someone who's there to love them and respect them. And I think it's really important for everyone to realize that I might not be where you are, but you've been where I am and I will be where you are. That's, that's really beautiful. And I, I really like that. Um, so the the Matthew Mullins, the young Matthew Mullins that's out there right now listening to this podcast, what is your message to him? You are not alone. Definitely is the number one thing I want them to know. If you feel like there's no one who understands you, you can always find somebody who does. It may not happen right then, but there's always a reason to continue on and keep discovering and learning more about yourself and about others. It's the most important thing I've ever learned in my life is that life is created by you and everything around you is a product of your own decisions. You give power to all or you give power to yourself. So I suggest that you all give power to yourself. That's amazing. And uh, assuming we're all over this, I don't know, in June, uh, do you have any events coming up that we should know about? Um, You know, we have the ones we throw regularly at the bullet bar. We've got, I know that there's... um, there will be a cocksock coming up in that time period, as well as a gloomy. And um, throughout the rest of the year, all I can say is go out there and enjoy yourself. Because if this shit is done, it's time to enjoy ourselves. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm literally jerking off every 20 minutes here at home. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Give me like, a Skype ID or something. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's time to, like, actually go out there and... You know, if, if this isn't going to affect us, if it's not going to kill people, which yeah. is just awful, then it's time for us to go out there and really experience each other and be open to life and be open to each other because that's the only thing that's going to carry us on after this. This is going to give us a great new appreciation for putting our phones down and getting to know each other in person again. Right, exactly, because now all we have is our phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. How can we reach out to you if, if we wanted to? If you want to reach out to me, yeah, you can definitely reach out to me on uh, Instagram. I'm Skullbit Creative. On Facebook, I I'm actually uh, uh, Matthew Beats per Minute, okay. um, which is funny because my initials Matthew Brian Patrick Mullins, but Beats per Minute. But or you can always reach out to me on Twitter. I'm um, MMMBPM on there. 
Okay. And uh, honestly, if you look up Ashtray Kane or Matthew Mullins, you'll find me. It's always the one that's below the karate guy. Cause like... <laughs> just, just type in Matthew Mullins and then you see two guys naked on the internet on Google search. Uh, Matthew's one of them. <laughs> yeah, basically. If he's not doing karate, it's me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on the podcast. And uh, I hope to see you soon in person. Yeah, me too. Okay. I'll see you around. Before we go, I'd just like to remind our listeners that even though Los Angeles is beginning to go through the process of reopening, there are still several organizations that are working hard to lend a helping hand to the community. If you or anyone you know is in need of food, supplies, a lifeline, or grocery delivery services, you can reach out to the LA Leather COVID-19 Assist, the Boulevard Pantry, and the LALC Cares. I will have links in the description below. On another more serious note, I wanted to let our listeners know that although this podcast is really about sharing personal stories, talking about sex and kink, this does not mean we are not taking current issues seriously. It has been my goal and number one priority for the purpose of this podcast to serve as a way to connect people and to share their experiences with leather culture through diverse media. And although Leather Talk is not officially affiliated with any organization, I would just like to say personally that we are at a time where it is more important than ever before for us to stick together, to stand up for our rights as human beings no matter the color of our skin. Life is precious and beautiful. No longer can we continue to remain silent while lives are being lost in black communities all over the world. No longer can we stand in the sidelines while people's lives are being threatened every single day just because of the color of their skin. Black lives do matter. And I want to encourage everyone involved with spreading that message to continue to stand strong. You are an inspiration.